0: Well hello friends, Uh, as most of you know, our senior pastor is from Minnesota and he thinks we should never cancel weekend services, but we finally convinced him as we were talking about this storm that it's actually a blizzard and it might be a good idea if we kept folks safe and told them to stay at home. So while we were talking about that, uh, we decided to bring our team together and to provide an entire worship service uh, via video for you to help you so that you can worship Uh, as the people of Mountain with family and friends this weekend, even if you get snowed in. So welcome to our special Blizzard of 2016 service at Mountain. This weekend you can wear, truly wear, whatever you want to worship. So even if you're in your PJs, you don't have to comb your hair, you don't have to do anything like that. Uh, Just settle in and we're going to provide you the opportunity to experience everything you would uh, in a weekend service at Mountain. So, gather your family, your friends, even your neighbors, uh, and settle in for a worship experience with us. So, we're going to let you, uh, we're going to sing a little bit. We're going to let you hear a message from God's Word. We'll even be able to experience uh, celebrating the sacrifice of Christ together by sharing a communion. As a matter of fact, at some point, you'll probably want to pause the video and step out and grab some bread or crackers and some juice Uh, We'll share that together a little bit later in the service. And as always, when we gather on the weekend, we'll even give you an opportunity to give offerings as part of the worship. So let me just tell you a couple ways you can participate in the offering this weekend uh, from home. You can give online through our website, or you can even click on the link provided right here on this page. Or you can text to give by texting MCCEPIC to 30131 followed by a space, and then the amount you wish to give, and then just, you can just follow the instructions from there. Well, if you're not a mountain regular, then you should know uh, that we don't give ever because we have to. Nobody should ever feel pressured to give. We give as an act of our worship because we want to, not because we have to. So we're even going to do that online and through texting. It's, it's an expression of our gratitude to a good and generous God. So I'm going to encourage you to participate fully in this service in all the ways that we normally would. And before we do that, uh, I'm going to touch on just a few announcements, a few few things that you want to know uh, going into this week. Uh, we're excited to tell you that Mountain has a brand new website, and the timing could not be better for this. So I'm going to list a few things that are happening at Mountain, but you can get everything that I'm going to say and more on our new website, uh, and including how to give and what's coming up this week. So um, brand new website. Uh, it's really exciting. Same old address, mountaincc.org, so be sure you check that out. One of the things you can do on the website is sign up for our next Welcome to Mountain class that's coming up on February 21st. If you've been around here for a while and you want to know more about Mountain, uh, we'll gather that afternoon. We're going to sit around some tables and share some lunch. We'll take care of your kids uh, and feed them as well. And you can just learn who we are, spend the afternoon with uh, our senior pastor and some other folks, learn about who Mountain is the basics of our faith, where we're headed as a church, and more importantly than that, learn how you can jump in and be a part of it. Obviously, student large groups are not meeting this weekend. Echo and Collide are canceled, uh, but be sure you check the website and Facebook page for announcements regarding Mount 54 on Wednesday of this week. Two great events coming up I want to mention to you for women and one for men. Uh, The first is Girls' Night Out. Ladies, I'm sure that after a few days at home, you won't want to miss this Roaring 20s Good good Times. Coming up this Friday night right here on Mountain Road in the New Life Center. Uh, Don't miss that. You can sign up for that online. And then also for men, No Regrets Men's Conference is coming up on Saturday, February 6th. Another exciting thing happening uh, again this year is the special needs proms, called Night to Shine. It's sponsored by the Tebow Foundation. It's happening at Mountain again this year, uh, and the vision for that night is just to provide an unforgettable night full of faith, and hope, and love, and joy for the amazing people in our community who have special needs. We're also pumped that we can host again Milligan at Mountain classes. You can register for these college-level classes. They're provided through Milligan College, but on our campus. Uh, There's two classes this year, preaching or this semester, preaching and teaching for discipleship and prison epistles. So check that out online. Also in 2016, our go trips coming up. Uh, We're taking applications for those right now. If God's calling you to go on a mission trip uh, with our church, you can serve in places like Kenya. Uh, There's a trip to Southeast Asia and one to the Dominican Republic and lots of others. So you can contact our Serve the World team through the church office. You can get more info on the website and sign up and be a part of that. Okay, so now I'm going to encourage you right there in your PJs, uh, settle in, open your heart, worship fully. Nobody's listening to you sing uh, except for God. So let yourself be fully engaged and join us for worship.
1: So here we are in this unique, crazy, cool way together, worshiping our God. Let's do that together. surrendering each and every part. Honestly, it's hard for me. This world is too much with me, too much with me. Lord, help me lay at your feet All I could want
2: friends. It's good to see the mountain people and it's good to be with you wherever you might be. Um, How about Snowmageddon 2016? Isn't it awesome? Makes me feel just like I'm home again. Although now that I'm indoors, I guess I don't need some of this stuff. Uh, I don't know where you are. You don't want to be unprepared for uh, the snowpocalypse, as it has been uh, wanted to be called here. So, uh, you know, wherever you are, just get cozy, get comfortable, take your your coat off, stay a little while. We're going to share just for a few minutes about some important stuff. And uh, I know some kids are already excited about the possibility that maybe there won't be any school, right? I know there's some of you that are like hoping this is like a week off of school or something like that. I don't think I can guarantee that. You know, I, uh, having grown up in Minnesota... um, we never got out of school, and uh, but I think now that I think back, um, the school buses were different there. I actually have a picture of a school bus. Maybe, maybe if you see that school bus, you'll understand a little better why we never got out of school. Uh, but I, I know that uh, even though there's a downside to um, uh, a blizzard like uh, the one that has been forecast for so long, uh, there's an upside, and I hope you feel that—the kind of excitement that. Um, that comes with with the snow and the prospects that everything just might shut down for a little while, and we might have an opportunity to finally uh, maybe just. Pull inside. I know some people have to work, and it's a hectic time for for some. But for a lot of you, I, I hope that many of us just feel a sense of rest, and maybe we can slow down, stay inside. Some of you are going to take your first nap uh, that you've taken in a long time. Play some family games. You know, uh, you, you eat some bread, drink some milk, and use some toilet paper. You know, that's what we do best during during these times. Make the best of it. We're going to make the best of it and make the most of the opportunity uh, in our house. We're we're not only going to just maybe make some family memories. We're hoping uh, to. Make some money on this. And I've made a little sign that I'm preparing. Uh, go ahead and show the picture of the sign, and, and maybe you'll see uh, that's uh, going to be our key to raise enough money to get to Cancun, I hope, uh, selling some unassembled snowmen. In all seriousness, we really do want to make the most of this opportunity uh, with the snowstorm when churches all over are canceling. We just want to pull together a little bit and do something other than just, you know eat and sleep in and binge on Netflix. Let's spend some time together with the Lord in our homes or wherever you are watching this talking about God for the rest of us. We kicked off this series last week and uh, if you haven't had a chance to catch that message yet I encourage you to go to our brand stinking new website and uh, it's very easy to find the messages there and you can kind of get caught up and up to speed with a very important message for your life and mine as we think about what God might have for us in the coming year. God for the rest of us. It means God is for us. And God loves us no matter who we are, no matter where we've been or what we've done. Now with all this snow, um, one one of the things that we're always advised to avoid is getting stuck. Getting caught somewhere. Out, you know, uh, where you run out of gas on the side of the road. It's cold and it's blowing and you don't want to be out and, and get stuck. Um, that's why they keep saying stay inside. If you've ever been stuck in a snowstorm or your car or or even just physically couldn't get somewhere, you know it's frustrating to be stuck. And it can be really scary too. That's one reason that they tell us to take it so seriously. This is always interesting for me. I'm from Minnesota and uh, I'll I'll just confess, um, it is different culture there in terms of snow. You learn to drive in it and if you shut down every time it snowed six or 12 inches, we'd never get anything done or go anywhere. They have better plows and all of that and most people kind of learn how to navigate in the snow a, a, a little better there But what that leads to is a kind of attitude and if you've been around me, you're probably sick of it You know, I'm a snow snob. I am a snow snob. I, I um I have a hard time taking it seriously and getting all ramped up about a little snow here and there. And it's kind of an arrogance that comes out um, uh, because it kind of is this belief that I never have any problems in the snow. And, uh, you know, in Minnesota we just learn to keep going and we push, push, push. I got stories I can tell you about drivards, you know, blizzards I drove through. And that's kind of what Minnesotans do. They brag about things. You know, it's like, oh, I know it was terrible, but we made it. We went ahead and got in the car and... I can tell you about the time I was with a friend in my Subaru and we got we got stuck in this little ravine with, with snow, but we just dug ourselves out. About an hour and a half uh, later, we had dug several f- uh, feet and just pulled right back up on the road, you know, and it just the way we made it sound is, yep, no problem, we didn't get stuck at all because we worked our way out. There was that time, though, I was with my friend Phil and we were in his uh, blue Ford Pinto. Some of you old timers remember what a Ford Pinto is. It was a wor- like a go-kart. Worthless little car, like like a snowmobile with a tent over it. Terrible little car. And uh, we were out driving. We were trying to get somewhere on time. We were involved in this competition. We were in high school at the time. And a really cold day, and it snowed a lot, but they'd plowed the roads. And so the ditches were full, but the roads were clear. And we were going along, and something happened with Phil's right front tire, and it kind of pulled off the road. And the next thing we knew, it happened so fast, we got sucked down into that big ravine, the ditch, right by the side of the road. And in an instant, all we could see is white and we were buried in, in this complete, completely covered, about all you could see from the top was the, the antenna of that little blue Ford Pinto sticking out. We literally, uh, we, we tried to drive out Of course as soon as we came to a stop. It was a nice soft landing. The more we spun the wheels, the worse it got. We could just feel ourselves kind of settling down even lower into the soft snow. And uh, we literally had to roll down our windows because you couldn't open them. It was too much snow. And we kind of had to tunnel out this way and then up. And uh, we got out there and we looked around. Boy, we were stuck. And there was nothing we were going to do to sort of shovel a little bit or get ourselves out of there. And everything we did to try to help just made it worse. And I think uh, all of us probably understand what that feels like in life. Uh, Maybe spiritually you understand what that's like. Maybe in a relationship you know what it feels like to be totally stuck. Maybe in a habit or a cycle of behavior that you're experiencing or have experienced in your life, you know what it feels like to be completely stuck. And everything you try to do with your finances, with your health, just seems like it doesn't really help and maybe just makes it worse. Now, some people, they give the impression they don't have this problem, that they never get stuck, just kind of like I'm a snow snob and want to make you think I never get stuck. Well, you know what? I did, and I do. People with money, people with fame, people with beautiful bodies and picture-perfect families, people with money in the bank, people with good jobs and straight A's all get stuck. Everybody does in life. And that's okay. It's okay to acknowledge it because it turns out that God is not a God for the perfect people who never get stuck, but God is a God for the rest of us, the ones who get stuck, however we get stuck. And I love how utterly realistic the Bible is about this. I was talking to Ethan about this, and he was like, oh, tell him about Romans 7. And I was like, that's perfect. You know, Romans 7 is, is written by a guy named Paul, who on the surface of it is a guy that everyone would think today, oh, there's a guy who never gets stuck spiritually. But he's very confessional and we get to kind of hear his heart from this guy who looks like he has his act together say these words, Romans 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with God's commands for they're spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I'm all too human. I'm like a slave to sin. You can relate to that, I bet. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I end up doing what I hate. Can you see that? Kind of that spinning of the wheels. We want to be our best version of ourselves. We want to go God's way and bring His will into my life. But instead, he goes on to say in the next few verses how it's obvious that sin is at work in each of us. And verse 19 says this, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. I try to go a new direction, I just keep spinning my wheels. And he sums the whole thing up in verse 21. Here it is. I have discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me at war within my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life It's so dominated by these things that I don't want to do, sin and death. He's stuck. I'm stuck. And who's going to free me? That's his cry. That's his plea. And it's not fun. It's frustrating. And it's scary. And if you relate to that in any way, you've already broken resolutions of your year that were important to who you're going to become. And, And you already maybe have lost some hope about whether you can really change or the world is going to be different at all. That's what this series is about, God for the rest of us. We're actually using some of the material from this book by a friend of ours, um, Vince Antonucci. You can pick up a copy uh, when you come uh, back to Mountain or one of our campuses next. Um, But each week we're going to look at, um, and by the way Vince is going to be here to join us in a few weeks and you're going to love hearing him and how God flipped his script. But we're going to talk about the different ways that we get stuck uh, in the coming weeks. We'll talk uh, next week about dysfunctional families, those, those parts of our lives that are people we're bound to, but man, we just push each other's buttons and we make each other worse and it just is toxic. Or addiction is another way we get stuck, so many of us, and we recognize we've come to the end of our strength and ability to change. Or how we sometimes get shame-filled and just believe lies that we're not lovable anymore because of something in our life and we feel stuck or stuck because we're turned off by church or some Christians or what they've done or maybe stuck because I've got serious questions and doubts and skepticism lurking inside of me and I don't know what to do with it or just stuck because you just are at the same place you were last year. However, however you are stuck, know that it's okay because God is a God for the rest of us. If you're one of those people who never gets stuck, never has any problems, I don't have anything to say to you. But for the rest of us, For the rest of us, I have good news. I want to share just three awesome gifts with us today. Gifts from God that He gives to us when we're stuck. Tools, gifts, if you will, that come to us at those times when we really can't just dig out on our own. So you be thinking about those parts of your life or maybe someone else's at the same time where they're stuck. And we'll talk about these gifts. And the first one is this. God gives the gift of Himself in this way that you have a Father who pursues you. When you're stuck, it's important to know you have a Father who pursues you. You know, that day when I was with Phil and we landed in the ditch with his pinto... Uh, we were out in the middle of the boonies in a ditch, and we, we didn't have car, you know, boots with us and stuff. We weren't really, really well prepared, and we, we wished someone had thought to invent the cell phone, but no one had in those days, right? Uh, there was no such thing. So we just sat by the side of the road, hoping someone would come by. Bad feeling. First guy we saw was someone we knew from church. He was at the event we were supposed to go to, and he came back, and what had happened is Phil's dad, who was the preacher at our church, Got to wondering if we had made it safely, knowing the roads were were dangerous. He called ahead to that church and they said, no, they're not here. And they sent someone back looking for us. And I can't tell you how good it felt. Standing out there freezing, hoping someone came down that desolate road with our car buried in the ditch. Not knowing which way we would walk to even get help. To know that his father pursued us in that way. And the beautiful truth is, friends, that every one of us has an incredibly loving Father in Heaven who loves and pursues us in exactly the same way. Amazing. And the reason is, He's a God who never gives up. And so He chases us. Not just some of the folk who climb the ladder of spiritual success and moral superiority and become those who finally step onto the floor labeled holier than thou. No, God pursues all of us. And chases us in a relentless, tenacious way. He's a seeker after us because He loves for us. And it starts this way at the very beginning of the Bible. If you open your Bible the first page, Genesis chapter 1, you find Adam and Eve living in a relationship with God the Father. And yet they snubbed Him. They went their own way. They asserted themselves against His will. It's called sin. And it ruptured that relationship. And what does God do? He pursues them. They run and hide. He pursues them some more. And from the beginning of the Bible to the very last page of the Bible, God is a pursuing God, and my friend, He is pursuing everyone hearing my voice right at this moment. He's pursuing me. He wants a deeper connection, and He's hoping to have a deeper connection with you as well. Are you running from God or running to Him? I really believe that at every moment in our lives we're probably doing one or the other. Don't you think that's true? We're probably running toward God with with our heart and our mind and our life and our behavior and obedience. We're running away from Him. So the first picture we have in Scripture from God is this God who never gives up on us. Another beautiful one comes in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament. It's a book of Hosea. And it's about a guy named Hosea who was a good man. He was a godly man. And God chose him to teach us all something important. One day, Hosea is praying, and, and God speaks to him and says, uh, Hosea, I need you to do something for me. And Hosea's like, yes, Lord, you know, anything. And uh, God says, Hosea, I know you're single and all. And uh, 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 Hosea says, yeah, I've been, I've been praying for a, a wife. And uh, Hosea, uh, Hosea uh, God says, I, I have a wife for you. Oh, good. Great. That's awesome. Tell me, how's this going to work? God says, well, you're welcome. Um, here's what I want you to do, Hosea. You know that local whorehouse downtown. I want you to go there, knock on the door, go on in, and you're going to find your wife there. She works there. And Hosea was probably as confused as your eye would be about that. I can imagine him saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I don't want to marry a prostitute. Uh... I don't even want to go to that place. And God says, well, that's what I'm asking you to do. You're going to go in there and you're going to pay some money and you're going to get her. And by the way, her name is Gomer. As if it weren't bad enough to marry a prostitute, her name has to be Gomer. Really, God? Well, it turns out Gomer was a beautiful woman with a very not-so-beautiful name, perhaps, but um, she also has this pattern in her life this sort of addiction, if you will, of being with men. And despite all that, Hosea obeys. And he purchases Gomer from her pimp, I guess, and marries her. And eventually he is surprised by love. His heart attaches to her. And they begin to make a home. And as they fall in love, things go well for a while. They had a child and then two more. And life is good. And then Hosea discovers that he isn't the father of the second and third kid. And then Gomer leaves, walks out in the middle of the night. And Hosea is left there, a single dad with three kids. And his wife has gone back to work for her pimp. He's stuck, raising these kids by himself, two of them not even his own. And God speaks to him. I don't know if I'd want to hear from God at that point if I were Hosea. But God says, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to purchase Gomer back again. I want you to be her husband and love her again. Like, Are you kidding me? you got to be... Are you serious right now? And God says, yes, I am. Why? Why, Hosea says. And here's what God says. He says, Hosea, because I'm using you as an example. I want you to be an example of what I'm like. This is how I love people. This is how I love you, Hosea. Because my people, they constantly run from me. We build a life together and then they turn away. And I, and I take them back because I love them so much and Hosea does it he goes back and he buys that wife back again and the whole thing as he loves this adulterous cheating spouse is this living parable of what God's amazing life is like it, it illustrates what God is like but here's the thing it also illustrates what I'm like what you're like what the rest of us are like not just Gomer but all of us we get stuck in bad habits sinful ways selfish things from our past and it comes kind of permanently, just we just we we're prone to wander, aren't we? The Bible says that's what Paul's talking about. We all get stuck and we wonder, could God still love me? I mean, isn't He sick of hearing from me? We get sick of praying the same old prayers. Could He love me again? And Hosea is one of God's gifts to us of a pursuing father who gives an answer. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Talking about how much he loved. But the more I called, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to Baals and they burned incense to images. In other words, the worst thing you could do to God is disobey his first and most basic commandment that you love him. Put him first. That's all he asked. And that's what they didn't do. Verse 9, How can I give you up though, God says. I can't hand you over. I can't just write you off. My heart gets, I was mad. I was very angry, but my heart changes toward you. All my compassion is aroused for I am God. I'm not like you. I'm not human. So don't think God is like I am when you are too hard in your heart towards someone because they've done you wrong one too many times. When you hold that grudge, don't think that's like God is because God is not like that and he proves it right here. So you think of the worst things that you have done and you bring it all up to God and you ask that question, could he love me again? And his answer is yes. Why? Because he's a pursuing God. And that father is one of the greatest gifts when you're stuck. Because one of the reasons we get stuck is we don't think that we're redeemable anymore. And so as Paul says in Romans 7, He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And he gives the answer. Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. God, the Father who pursued Hosea and you and me, does it now for the whole world, for you and me, for the rest of us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of this, Paul says in the next couple of verses, verse 1 of chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free. I don't know how stuck you are, my friend, but you have a God who pursues you all the days of your life. Let Him find you stop running let this be a gift to you to move you forward to receive the love of the father when you're stuck so that's an amazing gift isn't it And the second gift I want to share with you is the knowledge you have a father who pursues you the other gift that God gives to us that he intends to really help us when we're stuck is friends who help you friends Who help us this is vital to our life in God friends remember when I told you about the ditch story where Phil and I were in the ditch well the first guy that came back and and found us his name was Ron White and he came with his big old truck and he had a big old rope and he just casually carried on conversation as he hooked up dug down in underneath there and hooked up that that car to and pulled us right out of that ditch Something we never could have done on our own. And then together we took sticks and poked out the snow and we thawed the car and He helped us get it started and off we went. Something we never could have done without Him because we were stuck. And that's how friends are in our lives. As God designs it, we we need this pivotal element in our lives. Friendships that help us when we're stuck because we can't do life on our own and we can't walk and live with God on our own. We're not meant to. A lot of us know and love that passage from Ecclesiastes 4 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one there to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can they keep warm when they're alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need friends like that in our lives, don't we? Especially during a storm. Proverbs 27.6 reminds us that friendships aren't always the cozy, comfortable kind. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, the Bible says. If someone's just giving you lots of kisses, they're probably your enemy. If they're just flattering you, it's hollow and shallow and not really, not really helping that much. Sometimes you don't need the pat on the back as much as you need a kick in the shorts. And real friends sometimes bring that. Someone who I heard recently, someone say, everybody needs someone in their life who can look you in the eye and say, you're full of baloney. Everybody needs that. I don't care how important or how low you are. You, you, need, you need someone like that. This is why Hebrews 3 brings up such a beautiful verse here. It says this. All of us need to be careful because it's so easy to get stuck, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Make sure you don't turn away. Make sure no one else turns away from the living God. Well, how are we going to make sure all that happens? He says, well, here's the answer. You've got to encourage each other every day while it's still today because one day it's going to be too late. So encourage each other so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So we can get stuck in all these ways deceived by sin, hardened by God. He mentions our own hearts, turning away from God. Those are all ways we get stuck and the Bible says the way you prevent it is you encourage one another. We need friends to help us. Hebrews also says in chapter 10, verse 23, that therefore we've got to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Hold on to Jesus, yes. But also let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing during blizzards, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's what I want you to catch. Spur one another on like a, like a rider, a cowboy on a horse driving the, the jagged edge of his spur into the rear end of that horse so that horse knows to move and to go. And I need friends in my life like that that say you can be better. You need to move forward. You're falling. Let me help you up. It's not always harsh. Friends aren't always harsh. Let me give you another picture of how vital friends can be as you think about your life and how God has graced you with friends that matter and how maybe you need to nurture that in your own life. And the picture I'm thinking of is a little-known guy from the Bible in the New Testament who played a very important role. The scene is Jesus, the last day of His life as He trudged through the streets of Jerusalem carrying His cross on His shoulders. He's already been beaten and worn over the intense pressure of recent days, loss of friends, and now the loss of blood. He knows He's going to die, and He's at His lowest moment of His life. Can you see the moment? His strength is gone, and under the hot sun He's there, in pain, physically, emotionally, People ridiculing him. I, I imagine that as he's walking, maybe out of the corner of his eyes the throng comes mostly with jeers. Maybe there was a friend like his mother or or Peter or John and their lock eyes, but they can't help him. They can't do anything for him in that moment. He's stuck. He's alone. He's carrying his cross. And the Bible tells us in just one little verse that one of the soldiers grabbed a guy and said, hey, you, carry his cross for him. He got sick of waiting uh, while Jesus kept stumbling and falling down under the weight of it. And so at the point of a spear, a man named Simon of Cyrene picked up that cross and began to carry it. And together, the two of them staggered forward. And it's a beautiful picture of what friendship in the body of Christ is meant to look like. In fact, here's, here's a picture. It's an icon, a, a sort of old picture, if you will, that the church has looked at to remember that moment. And I love that picture because you see Simon there carrying the cross and then his other arm around the shoulder of Jesus, draped to show the friendship that's there. At a crucial point of need, bound together by the beams of the cross, they walk the same road together and I hope you have friends like that in your life I'm so so glad for the friends in my life that God has given me who walk with me and help me carry burdens that are too much to bear we all need that I Had some beautiful time with our family over Christmas where we got together after all the gifts were open back in Minnesota got together my brother's wife and kids and cousins all together there in a circle and we just shared how can we pray for each other this year? And tears were shed around that circle as we shared that and I realized how blessed I was because not everybody can, can tell that about their family but you know what? God gives us a family called the church because we so desperately need this help that comes from a companion when we're stuck just like Jesus experienced. Even Jesus needed help bearing His burdens. And this is why Galatians 2 says we must bear one another's burdens. This is how you fulfill the law of Christ. As our friend Casey Stengel from our mountain family was buried this weekend before the snow came, we celebrated at his funeral because of the friendships that he had in Christ. His family together in the Lord and the friends who were proud to carry his casket because they had bonded together and shared life with life and served their guts out together, serving the homeless and in other ways in this community. And I wish for every one of us that you have that. Someone like Casey had. Someone like Jesus had in Simon Cyrene. Let me just give a couple of practical ideas for how maybe you could nurture some of these friendships. Maybe there's a friendship that you have that just isn't very deep. Maybe it's a small group relationship or a relationship with a spouse or a sibling or one of your adult children. But you both have a relationship with God and it's just not been given permission to go very deep and really help each other bear one another's burdens. Can I just suggest that you be the one to lead it there? To take that too often casual relationship to a Christ-centered relationship or from a casual relationship to a cross-bearing relationship. And here's how you do it. Simply ask with all sincerity, how might I pray for you this week? Listen fully and then pray. And it will take that relationship to another level and you'll find people in your life like Casey Stengel had. Be a friend. Let others close. Dare to be vulnerable because friends, we're all the rest of us. We're all the imperfect people. We're all people who get stuck and need help and God gives us each other. Let's not miss it. Let me just share one more thing with you that will help us. It's a gift God gives us beyond just a father who pursues us, beyond, you know, friends who help us. But I just want to remind us that the best thing God gives us ultimately is our faith in Him, faith that carries you through. Because sometimes, what I've discovered in my life is sometimes that's all you got is a faith. Faith is the substance of things you can't see. It's things you're hoping for, but you don't, you don't ha- get to hold them yet. So you're, you're walking in the dark. That's what makes it faith. Belief that God is there when you can't see Him. Belief that God is real when others say He's not. Believe that God is at work when it doesn't seem that way. And this is one of the greatest gifts because this is the thing that sustains us through whatever stuck period you might be having. An illness that won't leave. A habit that you can't seem to kick right now. A family that just is so tense you want to just leave it, but you can't. Or whatever it is, a lack, of pro, a lack of discipline that makes you feel stuck. Or you know, whatever that image of stuckness that came to your mind earlier in, in your mind. That's the place that a faith in God who pursues us in love can see us through. Some of you remember um, that Reggie Jackson... All time great Major League Baseball player was actually a Baltimore Oriole, I think drafted by the Orioles in 1976. Here's a picture of Reggie Jackson and the manager. A lot of you know that. A lot of you guys are getting all, you know, all, all emotional uh, on us here. Some of you old time fans of uh, Oriole baseball. That's Earl Weaver, the manager of the Orioles. Uh, he had a rule in a certain game they went into no one could steal a base without a signal from the manager. Nobody. Well, here's Reggie. He gets up, he hits a single, he's on first base. And he knew his skills, and he had studied that pitcher, and he was very confident that he could safely and successfully steal second base. He was sure of it. So he looked over at the manager, Earl, for for that signal, and it didn't come. He kept looking. He was getting very frustrated because he was stuck on first base, and he was getting very angry. He was concerned that the game wasn't going to come out right. And so he got very frustrated and kept waiting and waiting. He wanted to prove his ability. He wanted to show what he could do. He didn't want to get stuck at first. But he couldn't believe it. He got no sign from Earl Weaver and he was sure it was a mistake and so at the first good pitch that came he took off running. And sure enough, he made it. He successfully slid in safe by a mile at second base. He was right. After the game was over, Earl Weaver came to Reggie and said, Reggie, I know what you were thinking. I know how you were dying out there at first base and felt like you wanted to try to help the team in the way that you thought was best. But let me tell you why I didn't tell you to steal and why I wish you wouldn't have run on ahead. Let me tell you what it was like from my perspective. He said, the man up after you is our strongest hitter other than you. And I was really counting on him to bring you in, so we got a shot at winning this game. But when you stole to second, you left first base open. And when they saw that, they intentionally walked him. And there he was on first, with you on second. And he took the bat out of his hands. And the next batter up was statistically very weak against this pitcher, and I had to put in a pitch hitter. And that pinch hitter, when he went in, that meant it weakened our bench reserve, and that's why later in the game we didn't have the bat power to come back and win. So from what you saw, you helped by running out ahead and stealing. But you were looking at things from your perspective and what you could do. And I was looking at it from the perspective of the whole game. And whenever we're stuck, I think it's a pretty good reminder that we don't always see the whole game. We're just looking at our inning. We're stuck and we're frustrated. We're scared. We don't want to get left on first. And so we sometimes run ahead. But it's our faith in God that He's up to something that we can't always see. He's managing a game that's bigger than our moment and our frustration and our scaredness and our stuckness. He's up to something. It's bigger than any one of us. So faith will see you through, so we obey when it's hard. We trust when we can't see. We hang in there when we're stuck. We wait for healing, for help, for hope to rise again inside of us. And it will see us through. As Romans 8 ends, that passage, Romans 8, says this, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to to his purpose I'm so glad that God's at work in my life and in yours however stuck you might feel in the midst of this blizzard these days God gives us great gifts doesn't he you always know you have a father who pursues you let him catch you and he gives us friends to help us well you nurture those friendships so that they work for you the same way Simon of Cyrene worked with Jesus to walk and carry a burden and we have a faith that carries us through. We're going we're to share together now in that time of communion. And you were urged to have some items uh, together. And now's the time to reach for those. I'll pray for us. As we share now in an important moment. You know, we, we, we think it's important in the centerpiece of our worship when we gather together at one of our campuses on the weekend. Uh, but you know, we commune with Jesus uh, just as well. In our living room, in front of a computer screen, because He is the God who pursues us and is with us and is longing for this moment of connection with you. So, the bread and the cup, they're reminders of this God who stopped at nothing to pursue us in relationship, to come to us as a friend closer than a brother, and asks us now in faith to eat and drink. And know that as you're eating and drinking, All who are believers in Jesus are invited to do so. You're doing so not just with those in your immediate context, but with believers all over the world. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are so grateful to you for always loving us, for relentlessly pursuing us, and for surrounding us with your love through friendships and gracing us with people that point us toward You. And now we ask You, Lord, to enrich and deepen, strengthen our faith in You. As we come to this place that's made possible because of the amazing grace of Jesus. Thank You, God, for loving not just some, but all of us, the rest of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.